My text this evening has already been read for us, as most of chapter 23, uh, but I'm going to be focusing most of my comments on the actual crucifixion towards the end as our Savior dies. That would be in chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. And simply put, this evening we look at the center of human history, the central event in all of our lives. And this death of Christ will have three messages for us briefly this evening. Firstly, our sin is great. Probably greater than we can actually comprehend. Whatever we think about our sin, whatever we think about what we've done, it's worse than what we realize. How so? Verse 44 tells us at the sixth hour, there was a darkness over the land for three hours. Commentators uh, deal with all kinds of theories. Well, why was there, was it an eclipse of some kind? Can we explain this naturally? Uh, no, it was not a solar eclipse. It could have been a significant wind that brought up enough dust to temporarily bring some kind of darkness to that area where they were, but why would that have happened? Why would there have been darkness? Um, Anglican scholar John Stott says, it was an outward symbol of the spiritual darkness that enveloped him. For what is darkness in biblical symbolism but separation from God, who is light, and in whom there is no darkness at all. Of course, he was quoting from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Outer darkness was how uh, Jesus himself described hell. Our sin sent him to hell, or Gehenna, which was the place of punishment. But the greatness of our sin is also seen in verse 46. And it tells us he breathed his last. We all know from the Apostle Paul that the wages of sin is death. John Calvin said, If Christ had died only a bodily death, it would have been ineffectual. Unless his soul shared in the punishment, he would have been the redeemer of bodies alone. So there was a spiritual death that occurred as well as a physical one in the sense that the weight of all of the sins of the sheep that he was paying for was heaped on him in that moment. That our Savior died. That there was so much spiritual turmoil that there was actual literal darkness, which in and of itself would have been scary. But again, whatever we think about our sin, whatever we think about what we've done, it's worse than what we realize. Look at what it did to our Savior. He was dead. He was killed for our transgressions. 
But in this little set of verses, there's something else. Not only is our sin great, but our Savior is greater. Where do we see that in the midst of His death? Isn't this an Easter message? Where is the goodness in these verses? Verse 46 is recorded here in Luke and in John as he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And if, whenever we eventually study this gospel together, all the way through, it'll become even more clear that Jesus does all of what he's doing in this moment voluntarily. All of his ministry and his life was at the pleasure of his Father's will out of love for his sheep. Love for us. But his death and willing sacrifice for us does something effectual. There is an effect. It wasn't just simply a physical death. Talking about the clouds of darkness, there was something spiritual going on. Where do we see that though? It's symbolized in verse 45. When the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Now that's going to test our Old Testament knowledge. A New Testament commentator, Leon Morris, reminds us the curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple structure. He says it symbolized the separateness, the remoteness of God. The high priest would go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. Nobody else could go in anywhere near the Holy of Holies. That was where God was. There was a curtain that separated the Old Testament people from God. He did reside near them in the tabernacle and then in the temple, but there was a restricted access where not everybody could go in. The penalty of death. Couldn't get close to God because of sin and His holiness. But even as He's dying, Something is happening. Hebrews chapter 10 will explain it for us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, the author to the Hebrew church is explaining it for us. The curtain is torn in two. God is now, in a sense, accessible in a new way. We don't need a sacrifice of an animal. We don't need to go to a physical temple anymore. God's not there. We don't need to wait for a new temple physically. That wouldn't matter. Access to God is granted through Jesus through His death, through the crucifixion, through the payment of the sin. The sin had separated us from God eternally. And right here, is bearing witness to the power of the cross. The curtain is ripped. Access is granted. We can go there spiritually. 
But as the author to the book of Hebrews says brilliantly, it's open for us through the, through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Access to God has been granted. But not by any other means, but by faith and trust in the sacrifice of Christ. Your sin is greater than you imagine, but your Savior is greater than your sin. But finally, your singing and our singing is significant. Verse 47 gives us an immediate eyewitness reaction with the clouds of dust or whatever and the darkness, the recognition that Christ is dying, the curtain being torn in two. Somebody makes a response. It's a centurion. It says he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Meaning he was right. He was telling the truth. We've killed someone who was innocent. How do we know? The atmospheric darkness, the, the curtain of the temple being torn is evidence. This was the Son of God. But the centurion's response is praise, is recognition that Jesus is who He says He is. In a sense, we may have we may be bearing witness to a conversion, but certainly to a public proclamation of the truth of Christ's innocence, but also the effectual payment for even the sins of that Roman centurion who let it happen. Seconds later, someone's converted who allowed it. That's the power of the cross. It should be our response. Bearing witness. Recognizing the depth of our sin with the deeper love of a Savior. But as Jesus foretold to the women in verse 28, verse 48 records some witnesses walking away concerned and confused. We'll find out Sunday morning some of those people were apostles. They just couldn't wrap their mind around this. And even as they approach the empty tomb, they can't comprehend that this is actually happening. They did not get it. How he was innocent. He paid for the sins of many or why he even had to die. The singing, the praising from this centurion certainly bears witness and is significant, as does our praising him. But John Stott again points out three different ways we have faced or are facing death in our own life from this crucifixion. Firstly, legally, there's been death to sin. Secondly, morally, we're to die to ourself. Thirdly, yes, in this life, there will be physical, emotional, 
relational suffering, and even physical death ourselves. Well, legally, there's been a death to sin. We're free from the penalty of our sin. Legally, we're innocent because of these events. We're not liable for what we've done. That's insane, it seems like, but that's grace, the grace of the gospel. Just as the centurion looked at Jesus and said, he's innocent. So God the Father looks at all of us now legally and says, innocent. Because he was declared guilty. and He paid for us. But what that means now is daily we are to take up our own cross and follow him by denying ourselves. Yes, sanctification is a process, a growth in holiness, but that's through repentance, through regular confession of sin, through denying the flesh and continuing to look at the cross to say, yes, I want to fight temptation. Yes, I want to deny myself. Yes, God is trustworthy in what He tells me. Why do I know? Look what He did. Father loved me so much, He sent His only begotten Son. Therefore, I want to deny myself and follow Him. That could also mean loving enemies, as Jesus Himself did. Serving others without need of return. But finally, there is a constant carrying around of the death of Christ in our bodies, the Apostle Paul says. Our bodies are weak. They're in the process of dying. Eventually, we will face death. As I said from here about three hours ago to a group of family members mourning a death. And there's hope in the midst of that. There's hope in the midst of your physical suffering today and all of your bodily ailments, and all of your emotional trauma, and all of your relational difficulty, there is hope in the midst of all of that, but it's only here. Knowing that in three days He will be raised. Raised for our justification. Knowing that the wages of sin are death, but not for those who have believed in Christ. Because he died the death that we should have died. So therefore, the response for the rest of our lives can be praising him until we see him again face to face. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, we give you all the glory for dying the death that we should have died. The darkness, the pain, the agony, the betrayal, all things that we know well in many ways. You can sympathize with our weaknesses. Lord Jesus, comfort those now who mourn. Help us to weep with those who weep, knowing that the resurrection is true. One day you will wipe away every tear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.